And welcome to Raw Recovery, a Trudging Together podcast. My name is Dion Miller. I'll be your host today for Raw Recovery. And today, I'm, I'm really excited about this. I got to, my guest today is Kellen. And um, he had actually had somebody else that reached out for him. And we've been kind of going back and forth for a couple of weeks, trying to set something up. We got to talk at the end of the week and or we talked over the weekend. We had a great conversation and uh, we felt like we were ready to go. So, Kellen, thank you for taking your, your time today, coming on to be able to share your experience, strength, and your help, your hope. Welcome. Thank you. And, Deanna, I want to just acknowledge you for the work you're doing. You know, the podcast is a labor of love, a lot of work, a lot of effort, and not really a business. And you're just making a lot of work, adding a lot of good to the world, and pouring your heart and soul in this. And so I just feel feel like I need to honor those and acknowledge the work that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. You're absolutely welcome, 100%. <laughs> so, um uh, we're on this shit. So we're on. Uh, do you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? And let's get started with your story. This is the you, show's, you, the show's yours. Yeah. Well, so uh, I, the, the person you meet today on this podcast is completely different than the person you would have met 15 years ago. Okay. Uh, in December, or excuse me, August of 2007, I had a divine intervention, changed my life completely, radical upheaval and all that stuff. So the person okay. before that, uh, I'm 66 now, I was 52 then. So okay. for all the years before I was 52, I was raised as a kid in a, uh, in a, um, uh, Two-parent home, middle-class-ish, looked kind of normal from the outside. My mom was really fanatic about discipline and religion, and so she raised me and beat the crap out of me as a kid. The kind of discipline Mm -hmm. we got today would be felony child abuse, and you would be removed from the home. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I remember wishing at the time that I would die sometimes during the punishment, quote unquote, because I figured that was the only way she was going to get in trouble for her uh, actions. And, you know, the idea of getting help or running away or anything, it just wasn't an option in in those years. So I came out of that with the with the complete certainty that i was not good enough i sucked my i was just not good enough as a person and never would be and there were three parts to this but that was part one part two was i desperately needed to prove to my mother that i was okay somehow you know you'd think leaving home you'd get away from all that but i i felt she's right i must be bad and i need to prove it so i spent Mm -hmm. decades trying to get her approval and the third weirdness was and it's not okay to talk to anyone you need to do this all Um, yourself Uh, yeah it's all secret so i remember getting dressed last in the locker room at high school Uh because i didn't want anyone to see i was black and blue man you know that sort of stuff and so i lived from the time i left home at 17 until i was 52 so for 35 years i lived in silence Mm -hmm. never talking to anyone about my depression or struggles 
Okay. I lived in a roller coaster of creating big career success because I didn't Mm -hmm. know how to make money and then sabotaging it, burning it down. So I would create big success and then trash it. I did that repeatedly. I was married and divorced three times. I would Mm -hmm. trash that repeatedly. And at the same time, because of the conflict in my own heart, I often turned to drugs and alcohol. So during that time, I was also in and out of rehab, sometimes secret rehabs, because, you know, when you have certain positions, people can't know and all that sort of stuff. So I lived in that world of big success. People on the outside would look and say, wow, he's got everything, making all that money, big deal. And behind the scenes, if they had seen it, they would have said, oh, Holy crap, look at that friggin' mess. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even want that. No, thank you. Yeah. So that roller coaster of, of was my life. Uh, got to the point where I had attempted suicide twice. Okay. I was single again for the third time. And I was a $3,000 a week cocaine addict and making so much money that didn't matter. Okay. Yeah. So that's where I was in 2007, and that was the end of 35 years of this insane divorce, single again for the third time. Four of my 10 children were living with me. Three uh-huh. of them were grown up and married, and three of them were living, I hate to say this because it sounds awful, with one of my exes. Okay. So that's me in 2007, August. Okay. Ren, did you have any brothers or sisters? I had a bunch. I had five, six total. Okay. The, the older three, my sister was older, and she got the same kind of treatment that I did. Okay. It basically ruined her life. She's been single yeah. all of her life. She's mm-hmm. had weight issues, self-esteem issues, and struggled mightily all of her life. My younger brother, who's just a few years younger than me, and was the, there were two groups of three. Okay. So the older three, my older sister, me, and then my brother, he also struggled with weight issues and oh, yeah. other stuff all of his life. He's been very successful making money. He's an attorney, okay. et cetera, but uh, a lot of struggles there. But inside, it, yeah. Inside nest. Now, my mom, she grew up somewhere in there because she got okay. married young. And so the younger three of my sibs, when they read, I wrote one of the books I wrote since 2007, I've written 16 books and wow. life's completely changed and we'll get into all that. Uh-huh. But when I wrote one of the books called Tightrope of Depression, My Journey from Darkness, Despair, and Death to Light, Love, and Life, one of my younger sisters in the younger group of three read it, and she didn't believe all the stuff that I wrote about because Mm -hmm. things were different. My mom grew up, and so the younger three had a different life experience and she was like well can't you just get over it can't you just forgive this oh, stuff and yeah. my, because she didn't have any of those experiences of the brutality and the madness mm-hmm. of that that i did and my older sister did growing up and so yeah yeah so i have five sibs and there are two groups of three and there's marked differences between the two groups of three <laughs> well that gives you a really good idea um you know nature versus nurture there, you know, where the younger three uh, had a different life experience and they grew up different people. Uh, They had the acceptance from there. I'm the same way. I'm always looking for approval from my mother. Um, I never really had a father. So um, I'm always looking for that approval. And really, my mom's in the program. So I don't have the same I don't have the same thing. But 
I know that feeling of not being able to live up to the standards that were given to me. I could never make it. And so I was always failing. And then I got used to that. Well, so so what happened in 2007, I mean, if that's the dramatic disease and disaster that I am in 2007, then something had to happen, and it mm -hmm. did. In August of 2007, I came home from work on a Friday night. Okay. Uh, I was getting ready to go out and party for the weekend. I had my four teenagers were living with me, but I basically ignored them because they were old enough to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, for some reason, I was getting ready to go outside go out for the for the weekend essentially and i okay. felt a really compulsive need to turn on the television now that doesn't sound like anything except i didn't watch tv okay. and the the evidence of that fact is when i went to do it i picked up the remote and realized i didn't know how to turn it on wow uh, i mean i literally i had the you know electronics guys come in and put in great big cool stuff but i didn't ever use it so i didn't know how to turn it on okay so i had to ask one of my kids how to turn it on and my daughter you know she punched the buttons and threw it at me like dipweed <laughs> and it left the room and it landed on a program i've never heard of but i didn't watch tv so i'd never heard of any of them and it was titled intervention mm. now intervention if you don't you know but it, it's a program that you know or reality tv show where families stage interventions for busted loved ones yes and this particular protagonist was a high-ranking executive with a cocaine problem. <laughs> so I watched about 10 minutes of this, and I said, yeah, screw this. I'm not watching it. I turned it off, and I went and did some other crap, and I was just, like, literally ready to walk out the door and felt an absolute undeniable urge to turn the TV back on. So this time I knew how. So I turned the television back on, determined to... I don't know what I was going to do, but that program started over. No, I don't have a DVR. No, it wasn't on the schedule. And no, it can't do that. I got it. Mm -hmm. But it did. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to watch this. So I sat down and I watched it and it went poorly. The guy yelled at his family, denied he had a problem and stomped <laughs> out and the whole yard, right? But it freaked me out enough that I didn't go out. Instead, I went to bed. When I went to bed, I went to hell. Okay. And what I mean by that is I went somewhere. <clears throat> it felt out of body. Okay. I was like I was in a big theater. Okay. And uh, on the stage before me was the whole of my life, not flashing, but very slowly playing out with a focus on suffering, starting with the suffering that I had okay. experienced as a kid, sure. all the way up through what I had inflicted on everybody else with my failures as a partner and lies okay. and addictive behavior and sabotaging everything, all of that. And I have never experienced such pain as yeah. just watching that thing play. Anyway, after a long period of time, a voice said, not loud, but just said, it is enough. Mm -hmm. I woke up and it was weird because the sun was shining in the window and the windows faced west. So I got up and realized it was five o'clock Saturday afternoon. So I'd been mm -hmm. somewhere nearly 18 hours. Yep. I got up and realized, okay, I've been invited to change. Yeah. I have no idea how to do this or what I'm going to do okay. or where this goes from here, but I'm done. Wow. So I threw away $1,000 worth of stuff I had laying around. Okay. 
I quit cold turkey, 3000 bucks okay. a week to zero in one day. And that got me sober. But that was the first half yeah. of the divine intervention because it okay. didn't do anything about the depression and self-loathing and self-sabotage that got yeah. me there in the first place. Mm -hmm. That shoe dropped two weeks later. Okay. So two weeks later, uh, I had tickets to go see a Yo-Yo Ma concert. Now, the, I got them for free. I used to get all kinds of free stuff because sure. of the positions that I held, expensive box seats and front row hockey seats and, you know, yeah. all kinds of crazy stuff because sure. I was a big dog and people wanted to be nice to Kellen. So <laughs> I, I thought, well, it would be a real shame to waste these ticket, this other ticket because I was single. And so I asked the groups that I managed, I said, well, who likes classical music? And some lady in one of the groups said, well, I do. And I looked at her and I said, well, have I ever given you anything before? And she said, no. I said, okay, fine. See you there. So I gave her the ticket. We met at the venue. The, the concert was spectacular. If you know who Yo-Yo Ma is, then you know that. And if you don't, that's fine. But in classical circles, I was like, oh. Yeah. You know, the all there is. Yeah. So anyway, halfway through the show, and I've got to remember, I'm two weeks now, stone cold sober. Yeah. So I've, I had this feeling come over me that I recognized from a couple of weeks before. And this voice said in my mind, uh, you need to marry this woman. And I said, you're wow. insane. I, I've screwed that up three times officially with some other disasters in between. Uh, that's sure. just not, not happening. Yeah. And so later that night, we were backstage because, of course, they were backstage passes. Yeah. And the voice came back and said, <clears throat> comma, and you need to tell her tonight. And so I went crazy thinking, you know, she can have me arrested for, you know, harassment or something. Sure. I knew her, but I didn't know her very well. Okay. Uh, I knew, I mean, she worked for me in one of my groups, but and so whatever, but you don't win those arguments. So I did. Exactly. And it went about like you would have expected. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about? And, uh, but she didn't call the cops. You know, she didn't have me arrested. Yeah, that was good. That was the good news. And within t two additional weeks, she had her own set of experiences. Okay. So two weeks after the concert, I resigned from millions of dollars of contracts. She walked away from a very nice career that she had, and we walked off into the sunset together. Wow. And three months ago, we celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary. Wow. Congratulations. That is, well, that here's is the thing. It is. And it's an incredible love story and all that. But here's the important part. She was literally the angel that was sent to help me deal with the self-loathing, depression. Yep. She taught me how to be a person. Mm -hmm. She taught me what it meant to have a friend, to be a friend. She taught me how to tell the truth, which I'd never done my whole life to anyone. Mm -hmm. Like the whole process. And she was literally, the, I mean, she found me shrinks to talk to. She was invincible. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm doing this. And I've asked her a whole bunch of times since then, like, what on earth possessed you to dump your career and walk off into the sunset with a drug addict? Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody knew. They didn't know, but they knew. Yeah. And she said, well, I just knew to the core of my soul it was the right thing to do. Yeah. And so that was a dramatic change. I walked away from the industry. I walked away from everything that I'd known. So did she. And we sort of said, okay. What do we do now? Mm -hmm. 
And that was the beginning of the change. Now, it wasn't that easy or it wasn't quick. I had to spend three or four of those, these 14 years figuring out, talking to shrinks and do some things yeah. and deal with depression and, you know, work on learning to be unlearning the stuff that I'd been doing for 52 years uh -huh. up until that point. So I don't want to wave any of that off, but that was the dramatic change, which is okay. We're walking off this cliff and going over this way. Uh -huh. And since then, I've written 16 books. I'm starting number 17 next week. Wow. I have a podcast like you do. I have developed a coaching practice around the world. And my commitment for this year, 2022, is to help 10 million people discover develop and serve with their divine gifts yes so there's the story wow <laughs> that is fantastic i love the epiphany i love i love how you automatically could hear god in the dream i believe in those dreams man i believe in that um and when you were talking about that i could feel i could feel myself being in that theater just in the darkness watching your life slowly go by that's it was, a different kind of hell, man. I, I've never experienced anything so painful in my life. It was beyond my ability to describe. And when, when he said, it is enough, I meant it in all kinds of ways. It is enough that has happened. It is enough that you have suffered here now. It mm -hmm. is enough in all those different ways. And I came to, and it, I was breathless. I was completely soaking wet like the bed sheets there wasn't enough water in a body i don't know where the yeah. water all came from but I, I, it was just it was the most astounding experience and I, I you know i got up and thought holy shit yeah. i've been invited to change and i had no idea what to do but i knew it was something we're, we're not doing this anymore we're done like this, this is over. over yeah so you, you got on that road. So how did you deal with um, your depression and the trauma that you went through? How did, what, what did you do to work through those things? Well, the first thing is to a declaration. I'm not doing this anymore. Like yeah. sometimes people say, people that I coach, they'll say, but I'm not exactly clear. Well, you know what? We never are. I have a little poem about okay. that. And it says, clarity is overrated. It is not found. It is created. Okay. You just have to start acting. And so I, you know, we got together and I said, well, you know, I need to do something different. I probably need to talk to somebody. And, mm -hmm. you know, Joy looked and found me a counselor she thought was would be good. And she found me one guy, my favorite guy, went through five or six. Mm -hmm. The first ones, I couldn't even tell the truth. I mean, yeah. I'm sure they thought I was a nutcase. I felt like I had to manipulate the sessions and control things, right? Yeah. But anyway, one guy she found me was 10 years older than I was. Okay. He had long hair, a ponytail. He was an ex-biker, ex-drug addict. And oh, by the way, he was a PhD forensic psychologist. <laughs> okay, I can talk to this guy. Yeah. And he was good. And he showed me some things. And he, he helped me understand that I was allowing the abuse to continue. Mm -hmm. And I needed to stop. And there were some very specific things. Like I said, I had 10 kids. And so, not surprisingly, some of them have had struggles. And they sure. need 
needed a scapegoat. So they were continually in a very vicious, some of them, not all of them, but a vicious and violent way, interacting, blaming, shouting, yelling me for everything wrong in their life, even though they're all grown up and on their own and you know what I mean? Could take control of their own lives. Yeah. They weren't. And I would allow that. And Joy used to flip out. Why are you letting him scream at you like that on the phone? This and that. So I would talk to the shrink and he would just say, well, the abuse continues. Yeah. And I had to learn to draw boundaries. Very. I had to learn to do the best I could to make amends. But mm-hmm. at that point, then to forgive myself. Yes. Because when we don't, all we do is carry around rocks. Yep. And we give the key to taking the rocks out to someone else Mm -hmm. who may or may not be anywhere near on their journey. If we wait for someone to pat us on the head and say, oh, it's okay, I forgive you. Number one, it's stupid. And number two, they may may never do that. So that means probably never going to happen. I'm never going to be able to do the good that I could do in the world because somebody else didn't give me permission. Yeah. And we need to get ourselves to a place where, um, you know, my worth comes from inside. My happiness happens here. Uh, when things happen to me, that's fine. But how am I going to react to that now? Am I going to go with the flow of life or am I going to cause more controversy around that? For me, I love the flow of life, man. I, I, I'm, I absolutely believe that nothing happens in this world by mistake. I don't believe that. Well, um, I think you're right. I would, I would agree. You know, life happens to you or for you. Pain, pain is not, I mean, pain is going to happen. Suffering yeah. is optional. There we go. That's it. I haven't heard that saying in probably 20 years, Kellen. It's been a while since I've heard, heard that one. Um, what I also like about you, about your story in there, um, cause it kind of goes around mine. I've been divorced twice. You know, I went mm-hmm. through a lot of the same things and then, one day it just happened. Um, I found a girl. She was my girl, my high school sweetheart. Mm. And uh, she got back in contact with me. And my sister right before me, you know, she always told me, your picker's broken, your picker's broken. And one day she changed it. She said, you know what, Dion? And thank you, Alanon. She said, Dion, I'm not going to tell you your picker's broken. There's nothing wrong with it. And then I met the love of my life. And it was because of her and her continuance of loving me and showing me how life actually works that got me to come around and make the decision that what I was doing was wrong and that I didn't, I didn't, I didn't deserve to live life like that. I didn't, I deserved more than that. I love that. And one of the things that I have learned from this is it's the sort of never too late thing. I was 52. Mm-hmm. I had been through decades of addictions and divorces and messes and ruined things. And and so in one sense, you could say if there was ever a candidate to be left broken at the bottom of the canyon, I, I was that candidate. Mm-hmm. And even in that place, the divine said issues invitations. Mm-hmm. They're always invitations. He never makes us do anything. Mm-hmm. They're invitations. And even in that broken place, the invitation was issued. It's never too late. Here is the path. And here is the help you need if you're willing to say yes mm-hmm. to the invitation. Yeah. I've always found it that way too. And God always lets me make that choice. Mm-hmm. You, know, um, you know, I am given options every single day when I wake up. 
You know, am I going to be, am I going to have a good attitude and try and contribute to life? Um, or am I going to work on these things? Um, now, I think a lot of this has to come back around. You know, we get past the point where we stop blaming our parents for who we are and other people and relying on other people for who we will become and start learning how to love ourselves and then taking that love that we love ourselves and contributing to life. Um, what, what kind of work did you do to come, come around and um, get that self-love? Well, I, I hired coaches. I, <laughs> I went to see a lot of shrinks. Uh, I've worked a lot with my, my, my wife, who she's also my business partner. She's helped me build this business and she's helped me get these books published. Uh, she helps me do all kinds of stuff and has been, you know, I, I, I'll give you an example. One of the ways that depression manifested for me was what we called the sandpaper feeling. Okay. And what, how we described that is I always felt like someone was sanding my eyeballs. Mm. Everything was an emotional attack. Everything I, was just something I did wrong. Another yeah. thing that I was screwed up at, wrong, wrong, wrong. And so I lived in this defensive posture, always feeling like someone was sanding my eyeballs. I don't yeah. know why I picked that metaphor, but I did. <laughs> so works. we called it the sandpaper feeling. So one day, okay. one day, Joy said something to me, and I interpreted it as an attack, and I def reacted defensively and negatively, and it was so bad. I said, why are you attacking me? And she said, well, I'm not. I just was asking this question, <clears throat> and my response was, now, if any third par party, if any neutral person in the universe heard, saw the situation and heard what you said and heard your tone of voice and heard all that, they would interpret it as an attack. I mean, what else could they think? That's what I said. Mm -hmm. And she said in her wisdom, she said, well, that's not what I meant. And because we were actively working on things, I just said, you know, okay, whatever. And I felt frustrated, but I went and sat down and I decided to ask the questions. My own question. What else could you mean? But I decided, okay, I'm going to take the drama out of the question yep. and use the same words. What else could that mean? Well, I don't know. Mm -hmm. What else could that mean? And so then I took her words that yep. she had said, just the words, and took the drama out. And the drama was on my side and thought, what else could that mean? So what happened when I did that is a picture came in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I used to have season passes every season to a, a Sunshine Ski Resort, which is in Banff, Alberta. And if you've never been to Banff, it's probably the as pretty as any picturesque thing you've ever seen in Switzerland or anywhere. It's just unbelievable. So anyway, there's a sun, there's a several ski resorts up there, but one's called sunshine. And in, in the sunshine resort, there's a lift that goes up to one mountain mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and it overlooks a valley that is on the right hand side of the lift. There's another ski lift that goes up to a different mountaintop that overlooks the same large valley, but it, it the ski lift is on the right, so you're overlooking it from the left. Okay. And if you go up the one ski lift, you're looking out the right side, and the valley looks one way. And if you're going up the other lift and you look out the left side, the valley, same valley, looks a different way. Mm -hmm. And when I asked that question, what else could it mean? This picture of these two lifts in this valley came to my mind, and and. I, I thought this word, you know what? There is another mountaintop. Mm. 
there is another holy crap there is another i mean there's two the it, same valley there there is another mountaintop mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the the reality of that truth just sort of permeated everything in the whole framework it felt like 30 years of all this stuff just sort of crumbled mm -hmm. with the phrase there is another mountaintop and i realized when we say the words you don't see the world the way it is you see the world the way you are we <laughs> say that and we often say it as an indictment yeah. of someone's opinion and the truth is of course we see the world the way we are we only have one set of lenses yeah. we have our set of experiences the liberation came when i realized but there are other lenses yeah oh crap there is another mountaintop and, and and it was a physical visceral sensation uh -huh. of all this barriers and all this stuff crumbled and i thought i wonder where else i've been insisting on a single mountaintop like where else is there another mountaintop and that was just an example of a number of mm -hmm. things that didn't come by accident they came from seeking they came from working yes. they came from doing the work reading the books getting coached going to programs you know all those things to to do the work of change mm -hmm. but when you do and your heart is open those kinds of things happen and that's just an example yes. of a fairly dramatic one that it was like there's another mountaintop. Holy crap. Yeah. Living after living my whole life thinking, you know, th there's only one point of view. Yeah. But, and I think our intentions start to change as we as we've been in and the longer that we seek and look. Um, but yes, it does require the work. You know, um, I could talk about three frogs on a log and, and things like that. But I want to talk a little bit about your business and some of the books that you put out. What's the newest one coming out? You're putting one out next month? Yeah, I, I finished my number 16 in December, and it's titled Forgiveness, okay. A Journey of Courage to a Place of Freedom and Power. And that one is with the publisher. It'll be out in a couple of weeks, three weeks, okay. I think. And then next week, I'm starting on a, another one. But the one that I'm really excited about right now, and I'm talking a lot about on things, is this book, Forgiveness, because it's played such a pivotal role for me uh -huh. in forgiving anyone that's hurt me. But for me, at least, the more important thing was getting rid of the guilt and shame that I had carried uh -huh. around my own behavior not to excuse people confuse forgiveness with absolution or with pretending yeah. things didn't happen and it's none of that yep. you, you you know maybe you end up or i end up you know with some punishment or some legal penalties or something for things those are separate forgiveness is an energetic purification i choose to no longer allow that event to have power in the present mm -hmm. yep in That's my heart learned through emdr that's absolutely it. Mm -hmm. I learned that through. I noticed on, because uh, I love this word and I use it myself, but I noticed um, on your Facebook, it says that you are a catalyst. And I really, I love that word because I'm the same way. If you're, if you're going to hang out with me, you're going to grow. I mean, that's just, that's what I do here. You'd probably be pretty uncomfortable, but what are you, what are you meaning behind that as a, as a catalyst? What do you, what do you think it means? 
Well, uh, I, I use it in the phrase, I'm the ultimate catalyst for personal transformation. Okay. And I had a long history with chemistry. I used to make things when I was in high school that today would have put me on the terrorist yeah. watch list, <laughs> different kinds of explosives. And I won't name any of them here, lest anyone get too excited about it, but lots of them. And a catalyst is a, is a chemical that you put in a reaction, and it doesn't participate in the reaction, meaning it comes out unchanged, mm -hmm. but without the catalyst, the reaction wouldn't happen. Yeah. Or if it did happen, it would be really slow. Okay. So the view of you as a catalyst or me as a catalyst is a is an element that comes into an equation that causes something to happen that otherwise wouldn't happen or might happen really, really slow. Yeah. And we put catalysts in things from a chemical point of view to speed them up, to mm -hmm. make stuff happen. An, an example is finely divided platinum. Okay. Which is very expensive, is a very good catalyst for many industrial chemical processes. So they'll mix chemical gases and stuff, and they won't react or they'll react really slow. But if they do that same mixture over a, a bed of mm -hmm. finely divided platinum, the reaction is very rigorous and vigorous, and it does whatever it's supposed to do. And the platinum just sits there and it okay. doesn't get used up in the process. So that's why I use the word catalyst and why it's so much fun yeah. when you describe the 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 role yeah. of a coach well and i'm stealing that <laughs> i don't have any original ideas so i i just let people know i'm stealing i'm stealing something so well, <laughs> i like I, the way they, I like the i like that uh um i like that definition of it so um you also run um a personal achievement coach is that something and that's something you're still doing now how can people get it is. To do that? Well, the fun part about having a name like kellen flukiger is i can't hide so <laughs> anyone that tells me they can't find me is lying they're either not looking or they're spelling my name wrong okay so i'm on facebook i'm on linkedin i'm on youtube i'm if you google me there's thousands and thousands of hits because of my current work and my executive career which was very 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 high profile mm -hmm. in the years I had when I was a mess. So uh, you can connect with me any one of ways that you want to. The personal achievement coach stuff, I work with people that have chosen to end addiction to mediocrity. Okay. For the most part, people feel these yearnings, these desires to do more, and they make up excuses and reasons about why it's not time or the time's not right or they can't this, that, and the other, and they're all stories. Yeah. And so when people have said they're they're done, with addiction to mediocrity, with sameness, then I'm the coach that helps them get to that goal. Sometimes people come with money goals and want to start a business or double their income. Sometimes they come with personal achievement goals, with health or relationships or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the interesting and fun thing is it really doesn't matter. Okay. Because after half a dozen sessions, we're working on one thing only, and that is who are you choosing to be yeah. in the world? Because yeah. if, you sh if you choose to show up the way you need to show up, you can have anything you want. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and having a guide to get there, I, I had a guide. You had a guide. I mean, I don't know of anybody that didn't have a guide. Thank, thank you for the old timers. Thank you so much. Thank you, God. But being able to pass that, I mean, I go through it. 
I do it too. I'm sitting here listening to you. I'm like, hmm, yeah, those are a bunch of stories I'm just telling, aren't I? Because I, you know, I work through things too. So, I mean, and that's, that's what we do here is we learn more. And I don't think I will ever be satisfied. <laughs> I'm I, hungry. I am hungry. I, when you say, I want to hit 10 million people, I'm like, I want to move to Alberta and help you do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so here's some things you can do. I have a podcast like you do. Okay. Mine started kind of funny at the beginning of the pandemic in March of 2020. So two years ago, somebody called my wife, my business partner, and asked if I had a podcast. And we didn't. But that person knew that I speak conferences and all that stuff. Uh-huh. And the lockdowns were first starting, right? And the cases in Europe and especially yeah. Italy were exploding. And maybe we all thought for five minutes, you know, this is the end of the world, Armageddon or whatever, right? Uh-huh. And uh, we didn't have one, but she said yes. And so she came downstairs and said, we have a podcast. <laughs> so in April of 2020, I started a daily short 15-minute podcast called Your, okay. Ul- Your Ultimate Life. Okay. And it is uh, 15 minutes daily, and it is how to create a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy by serving with your divine gifts. Okay. And that's in all the regular places. So that's a way that I plan to reach people. I have a YouTube channel called Ultimate Life Formula, which is also about those very same things, how to serve with your divine gift, how to boldly capture and use your voice, your unique experiences to add good to the world. Uh-huh. And uh, and then I also run some small group coaching programs that are usually 90 days at a shot. Okay. Sometimes people come with a goal. I want to do this, you yeah. know, in 90 days. And then I put them in small groups, six at a time. I like to keep them small so I can have a lot of personal interaction. Yeah. yeah. And then I have private coaching, which is I, a minimum of a year. Uh, and then we meet every week or every other week, depending on how good they are at implementation. Okay. And uh, that's the kind of coaching that I offer. And it is, wow. again, every person writes their own curriculum. It's like, yeah. you tell me who you want to be and what you want to have. Why aren't you there now? What have you tried? What has worked and what hasn't worked? Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to figure, let's get to work and figure out who you need to be yeah. so that that happens. Yeah. I'm, I, I talk with a lot of people and they come to me with their passions. And a lot of times that what they have in their mind isn't what ends up happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they, they, they come in because of a passion, but then they find some of that they really like, you know, and it kind of, but it does take a little time to uh, find your spot on that road. And then mm-hmm. the important thing is staying in your own lane once you find it. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes you got to put those blinders on and keep the outside world at bay. I know because sometimes I'll get caught up in that clutter and it'll affect things. Um, I have to remember what it is that I'm doing and why I'm doing what I'm doing. I have to remember that. Well, everything always takes longer than you want. And when that happens, (laughs) you end up thinking, am I doing something wrong? And maybe there's some bright, shiny object, some BSO that'll help with faster. And so that dedication and focus and clarity about staying in your lane, as you said, and and recommitting to whatever you choose. I mean, you get to pick. So pick it, lean into it and, and get it on. Yeah. And that's what's beautiful about recovery is whatever your passion is, you can match up with other people. Yep. Um, I notice you're also a musician. 
Mm-hmm. I, I'm, yeah. What do you play? Well, I'm a keyboard player. I have a recording studio, and it's over there. And two <laughs> of the books that I wrote, I wrote a book, Tightrope of Depression, about my journey and i decided i wanted to be unique okay so i wrote an album of music of 11 songs that tell the stories from that book that's that's pretty cool (laughs) and then i wrote volume two which is called down from the gallows and i did an album of music with that one too and i promised the third one is the end of the trilogy and it will be out in january or february of next year and that album is half done wow so there will be three books with three albums telling the the story of me uh as sort of a a autobiographical thing from all of the darkness through that down from the gallows the subtitle is the truth the myth and battles of a creative with depression okay and and then volume three i'm not telling anyone the title of it even though i know and it's partly done and all that stuff just because between you and joy so yeah it is it is This has been phenomenal. Kellen, I've I've had a blast uh, talking with you today. I, and I had a lot of fun talking with you on when we were on the phone. It just conversation seems to come real easily to you. I mean, you guys can't see what I see. Um, but I mean the brightness in his eyes, you can just tell God is sitting. He he can see God everywhere he goes. I can tell that just by the way that you look and, and handle yourself. And it's beautiful, man. You're doing a beautiful job. Well, I, I want to acknowledge what you're saying. You have no idea how true that is. What we didn't talk about was that in 2018, 10 and a half years after that event that I described and changing directions, I died. I contracted a fatal illness and died wow. in the intensive care unit here at the University of Alberta Medical Center and had a near-death experience and had three okay conversations with God at the door between life and eternity. And that, of course, spawned a couple of more books, one called, not surprisingly, Meeting God at the Door, Conversations and Choices and Commitments of a Near-Death Experience. And so when you say that that is true, it is truer than I have either the capacity or the ability to explain. Yeah. And you don't seem like you're a man of few words. So, <laughs> you know, the, some things are too sacred. I wrote as much as I could in the books and told about the experience and everything. I mean, sure. I'm, I try to be open about it just because I want people to understand. When I say I'm going to help 10 million people discover, develop, and serve with their divine gifts, my goal is to help people realize who they really are. Yeah. Like if they really understood to the core who they are, fears would evaporate. Mm-hmm. Boldness would emerge. Service would be happening. Yeah. Love would blossom. Things would change because people would be operating from the truth yeah. of who they are. Yeah. And it takes a lot. Of, it takes a lot of work to get there too. But I think that what the you know if the work was easy, I don't know that I would have appreciated it as much though. You know, <laughs> so you know, being an alcoholic, I'm tend to, I'm a little bit of an extremist. Um, you know, so I tend to learn things a little bit, you know, the hard way. Uh, well, I used to. I don't put myself through that anymore. Nope. <laughs> well, I figure at 52, it was going to require a two-by-four to get my attention. So yeah. I guess I got it. Yep. It's more like a two-by-seven. <laughs> okay, a two-by-seven then. Whatever it was, it was big and it, it was bold, but it was still it an invitation. Worked. It did. Wow. 
that is, you know, and to have the open-mindedness and uh, clarity, you know, just, you know, that part that you were talking about when you were saying something just told me to turn the television back on. And uh, that that right there, yeah, I was like, oh, my God. So that was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Colin, thank you so much for being on. I appreciate you taking your time with us today. Um, You're delightfully you are, welcome. And you are always welcome back on. Um, when uh, the book gets published, I'd love to have you back on. We can sit down, talk about the book. I'll sit down and read it myself. Um, and um, uh, do you want to leave a uh, do you want to leave a, a email or a telephone number where people can reach you? Yes, the email is easy. It's Coach Kellen Flukiger, and you'll have to look at the show notes to spell it right. Yep. Coach. Kellen Flukiger at gmail.com. I also use yeah Facebook Messenger or whatever. I'm easy to find, happy to chat. Okay, fantastic. And I'll make sure that I put it in. And folks, if, if you're having a quote-unquote hard time finding him, let me know and I'll just give you his information. That's not a problem at all. So, wow. What I've, what I, what, this is what I love about podcasting is, is I get to hear so many neat stories and it's just amazing how close my stories can be to somebody else, even though they had a different type of upbringing, but the feeling of, of being, of feeling useless, um, of feeling like I'm not good enough of trying to prove to the world that I'm, I'm better than this. Um, I fought that for years, and the moment I stopped fighting and made the decision to just be who I am, I changed. Love thank it. Thank you to all my listeners. Thank you, Kellen. I appreciate everybody. This has been a Trudging Together podcast. I love you guys. Peace out, and have a day. <laughs>